Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Tseng, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Fever Dreams listeners, we welcome you to week three of the post-Will Summer regime. And the leader of that particular junta, Kelly Weil, are you on the line? I am. How does it feel to be into almost four weeks, a month total of the post-Will Summer regime, of which you have been a truly bloodthirsty author? (laughs) No, it, it, it's great. It seems like my insurgency is uh, holding. I am purging the summer loyalists and really just, yeah, I'm, I'm consolidating power. I'm getting paintings drawn up in my image and placing them around the office that we don't have. It's been great. So do you count Noah Shackman among the uh, summer loyalists who you've had is that why he had to flee to Rolling Stone? I will say it's a, <laughs> it's a convenient departure. Absolutely. On that note, I don't think we have to get into this too much, but I did want to read just one Daily Beast headline and just sort of let the moment land for a moment. Arizona election audit delayed because cyber ninjas caught COVID-19. Kelly, can you remind our listeners quickly who the cyber ninjas are and what this headline means? So this is a headline that would not make any sense circa 2019. I read it aloud to my dog just to, you know, just to let that moment just get out there. Uh, basically, the cyber ninjas are a pro-Trump group auditing the Arizona election. They are in there looking for, I guess, traces of bamboo fiber and Cheeto dust on ballots. They were supposed to deliver their findings this week, but they all have COVID. That report is delayed. How many of them in total have COVID? I'm not sure. I have never received much transparency from them. They do not like answering my emails. Um, I'm, I'm not sure the exact total, but certainly enough to delay their audit report. There may be a tiny handful of things that actually define both the Trump and post-Trump era better than a whole bunch of guys, perhaps scam artists, rallying together to audit these different races in states that Trump clearly lost, only to have their work hindered not just by reality, but by a COVID-19 pandemic that they keep downplaying over and over and over again. 
it really has season finale vibes. Like all the plot lines came together at just such a dramatic moment. It's, you know, you have to appreciate the writing even as you wish them uh, a speedy recovery because I do want to see that audit report. I do. Okay, speaking of COVID-19, our listeners will be familiar with ivermectin or perhaps by its street names of sheep drench or horse paste, largely because hopefully they've been following your work over the past few weeks on this subject. This is getting out of hand in a way, or at least starting to, in a way that even I, with my setting the bar through the floor in terms of my expectations on this sort of MAGA shit, could have predicted. What is going on with Ivermectin-Mageddon these days? And I understand that Fox News has played a role in explicitly abetting this. Yeah, so... (laughs) To back our listeners up, ivermectin is an antiparasitic drug. It has some approved uses in humans for like if you've got a really grody like lice infection or scabies or something. But the most common stuff on the market is like tubes of it that you give to a horse or buckets of it that you feed to a sheep. So it's not uh, strictly a veterinary medicine, but that's where people are mostly getting it. It has been promoted as this uh, miracle cure for COVID-19, despite there already being safe and effective vaccines on the market. And this is when we're seeing people hitting up the tractor supply company to get big tubes of horse paste, either as a preventative medicine or to treat active COVID infections. This is something that isn't just being limited to some weird Reddits subreddit or, or the fringe of the fringe of the vast pro-Trump online. This is something that has managed to warp Amazon.com's recommendations to its customers because people keep buying this stuff in droves. This is anecdotal, but I saw one guy who works at Media Matters tweeting that someone he knew actually needed something like this for an actual legit, I forget what it was, something that that they need to treat, but they couldn't get it or get it fast enough because too many people were buying it up because they had bought into the idea that this was some COVID miracle cure, even when the vaccines are free and readily available. So how big a deal is this? Uh, Because there's a lot of lunacy out there right now, but how much of this is becoming an actual real world phenomenon? Right. I mean, in terms of real world numbers, 70% of poison control calls in Mississippi right now are about people taking too much ivermectin. Most of those cases are apparently pretty minor. Right, like you get a tummy ache or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, doctor, I had too much cheap drench and now my my tummy hurts. I mean, surprise, right? But there are, if you have a lot of ivermectin, there are serious side effects. There are at least two people in Mississippi hospitalized for this. You can have neurological damage, potentially severe hepatitis. Requiring hospitalization is something that Mississippi's top epidemiologist just put out in a statement saying, please, for the love of God, stop eating cow meds. And this rose to the level where the FDA, the actual FDA, had to start putting out messaging on, please stop ingesting this shit. The actual FDA, they tweeted, you're not a horse, you are not a cow, stop it. (laughs) And just to be clear to our audience, that was basically verbatim of what the FDA was saying is messaging. It was you could you could feel through the pores of that tweet that whoever had to like put it together and type it out and whatever bureaucrat had to approve this, they were just like muttering themselves. I can't believe we have to fucking do this right now. 
it reads like a book that I would read my toddler, like, you are not a horse, you are not a cow, don't take the cow meds. Like, it's that basic. (laughs) So what role has conservative media played in pushing this? Taking ivermectin instead of safe and approved COVID vaccines actually has some pretty devastating results. There was a conservative talk radio host named Phil Valentine who passed away this weekend. He was unvaccinated, but even while he was battling COVID, he was extolling the virtues of ivermectin and he said his doctor had prescribed it to him. Clearly, it did not work. And this was a guy who, for a part of his career, was raging against the vaccine, saying, I'm not going to get it, uh, pushing out this anti-vax agitprop. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And now his family is saying, you know, please take this to heart, take the vaccine. And it's just so tragic that it needs to get to that point at all. Right. And for weeks, maybe even months, this has been something that if you're an avid Fox News viewer... You don't have to go on Reddit. You don't have to go to on 4chan or anything like that. It was right there in front of you in conservative mainstream media, on the radio, on cable news about, oh, well, there's this thing that libs really don't want you to take <laughs> called ivermectin that's doing these great things for people who have COVID-19. A friend of ours, Brendan Carrot, a staffer over at Media Matters, recently tweeted this supercut. And let's play a little bit of it for our audience. This is from major players and hosts and stars on Fox News. It's criminal what was done. We've lost hundreds of thousands of people just because they would not allow any kind of over-the-counter generic use of drugs that, that were already approved. Beneficial therapies like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, those treatments probably cost less than $50 per patient. Prescribing ivermectin for COVID, a practice done by other clinicians, given it has little to no side effects and by their understanding can reduce symptoms. Weinstein discussed the benefits of a drug called ivermectin, which can and is around the world used to treat and prevent the spread of the coronavirus. It's not some crackpot fish tank cleaner. It's a real drug, and physicians prescribe it. Local authorities have sometimes overridden national authorities to good effect, and they have distributed ivermectin, and they've actually ended waves of the pandemic. If it's extremist to wonder about ivermectin as a therapeutic drug, then count me as a radical. I don't want to be mainstream with what Facebook says is allowed to be mainstream. Kelly, as you've been studying this stuff, when you watch this on Fox News, there are some who endorse or come very close to the doorstep of endorsing this as a miracle cure for the coronavirus while continuing to uh, throw shade at uh, the COVID-19 vaccines. But there are others on Fox News where when you hear them talking about it, uh, you've mentioned before that they're clever enough not to explicitly endorse it, but they do go out of their way to say, why does the lying liberal media not want to tell you about things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin? And they go. They also go out of their way not to call it sheep trench or horse paste because that that would be too derogatory. Apparently, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It's just this internalization of the own the libs mentality, where there's no evidence indicating that this is effective in treating COVID-19, and there's no real reason for them to be endorsing it. It's just purely this reactionary, like, well, it's just because it's not the vaccine. Right. Joe Biden doesn't want you to drink sheep drench. So uh, extrapolate from there. Okay, so if you're listening to Fox News stars like Tucker Carlson and guys like that or Laura Ingram, whenever they touch on this topic or or, uh, Brian Kilmeade, they 
reference that this is something that is used for COVID-19 patients, what are they basing this in? Because as you sort of flicked at at the beginning of this segment, this isn't coming out of nowhere. There are, of course, legitimate human or uh, uses for this or for other species. But what is the grain of truth that they're blowing up into their like massive horseshit, no pun intended, uh, with regards to ivermectin? So there have been a couple studies, more than a couple, a few studies on uh, ivermectin and COVID. There have been issues with those studies, though. A lot of them were really small. Some of the more, the larger, more promising ones have been withdrawn due to concerns about the accuracy of their data. So it's definitely something that merits continued study. It is being uh, studied still, but it's um, something that Every medical institution is saying, do not prescribe this for COVID right now because- Just we, get the vaccine instead. Of course. we have. A, you want something that's rigor, rigorously tested and FDA approved, you've got Pfizer now. That's just this week got FDA approval, whereas this has the very explicit just plea from the FDA not to take the sheep paste. It really is like you could have graphed the exact same debate and the exact same Republican talking points from the hydroxychloroquine saga last year onto this, except they somehow managed to make it dumber because it involves uh, fucking medicine for sheeps and horses. Yeah, at least like, hydroxychloroquine. Like a year ago, <laughs> a year ago, as stupid as the hydroxychloroquine hysteria was and everything else around it, you could have sat me in a room for a thousand years and tried to script out hypotheticals for, okay, where would the pro-Trump MAGA insane internet go next? What of that would Fox News latch on to in terms of alleged or phony miracle cures for, for COVID? You could have sat me in a room for a thousand years or 1500 years, and I would not have come up with this. You know what we have to do? We have to get ahead of the curve on the next one. And I think I'm going to start investing in essential oils because that just seems like the you know natural trajectory here. That's not dumb enough, though. <laughs> this, in, this involves like livestock. What, what would it be like... Like the dandelion paste that you can get at my hippie, uh, hippie farmer's market, something like that. Right, right, like sunflower seeds. Like if you were the masters of some of these forums that are really pushing ivermectin hard, if you really wanted to, if you want to be an evil, mischievous dipshit, you could convince like half of the Fox News and Fox Business all-star lineup to at some point during this pandemic start pushing cat food, like wet cat food as a therapeutic or a cure for COVID-19. You absolutely could do it. You've got to sell the vaccine the same way. Like, don't even bring up COVID. Be like, um, this makes your hair really shiny. Just like, get the get the jab and you'll have a lustrous mane and great eyebrows. Right. And the balding Joe Biden does not want you to have <laughs> illustrious hair. So, Kelly, you've been reporting on and tracking some of the Mike Lindell adjacent nuttiness that is going on in the Colorado data breach. Walk us through what's going on, what's being alleged, and what the hell happened here. Right. So you know how pro-Trump Republicans love to talk about, quote unquote, election security while they're invoking conspiracy theories about the 2020 election? I believe they uh, prefer the buzz terms of election integrity, but yeah. Integrity, yes. Yes, right. of course. <laughs> Which is just a hilariously Orwellian like twist on what they're doing, but whatever, bound to happen. Of course. And would it come to any great uh, surprise to you that in Mesa County, Colorado, they're actually is an election security problem, but it's coming from Trump supporters. No. <laughs> 
Mesa's county clerk, Tina Peters, is facing an FBI investigation for allegedly breaking into voting machines that were in her care this spring and leaking data to the conspiracy site Gateway Pundit, then hopping on a plane, going to Mike Lindell's cyber symposium to discuss the leak, which, surprise, revealed absolutely nothing. And the worst thing is that this isn't even the first or second time that Peters has been accused of putting election security at risk. Um, and, and this is within her very short tenure as clerk. In 2019, her office left a box of more than 500 uncounted ballots just sitting outside after an election. And in 2020, during the primary elections, her office installed a ballot drop box, but they did something with the installation wrong because the box started leaking and there were literally ballots just blowing in the wind over scenic Mesa County. Um, so it's a real case of Republicans doing exactly what they accuse their opponents on the left of doing. Okay, so according to the Washington Post, Tina Peters is under federal investigation right now for maybe the dumbest reason possible. She was doing this so she could make a big splash at the Michael Lindell conference, which our listeners will know was this gigantic implosion that didn't really make a dent and also created him a few more enemies among the pro-election overturning right who are now kind of looking at him thinking, okay, Mike Lindell just keeps like treading water here and has failed to deliver the goods on this. So this was for less than nothing. For less than airfare to the Mike Lindell conference. Although I will note that uh, Mike Lindell is supposedly hiding Tina Peters now in a safe house. So get a couple of weeks of free rent. It's not nothing. Well, sure. And you mentioned that uh, Tina Peters has been trying to link this to the Gateway Pundit or deputizing that into her crusade right now. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think uh, Gateway Pundit is the first place that amplified this breach. Um, and, you know, that's just a clearing house for Trump and Trump adjacent conspiracy theories, um, completely unvetted leaks. So it's a uh, that voting information, I'm sure, is in great hands. But but Ron Watkins is pretty central to this whole thing, right? Uh, another favorite recurring character of ours. Friend of the pod. No, uh, Ron Watkins is a uh, former administrator of Aikun, uh rumored to be Q. He denies it. Um, and he was very central in promoting these leaks from his telegram when they first started. He was at the, um, Michael, he Skyped into the Michael and Dell Cyber Symposium to discuss these leaks. So these are really like the inheritor of the Q momentum, right? Um, they're just absolute empty ones and zeros, but it has, you know, all these Watkins fans just breathlessly trying to parse it for anything interesting. Do we have any idea where the safe house is that Tina Peters is being kept in? Is it probably just like a Motel 6 or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. I've tried calling to no avail. Um, so, Tina, if you're listening, please return my voicemails. I, I don't know where she is. <laughs> no. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And now we welcome onto the show NBC News reporter Ben Collins, one of the very best and brightest reporters in America today covering disinformation, the internet, and of course, political extremism. You can read his deep dives and investigations at NBCNews.com, and you should also immediately follow him right away at his stupid, goddamn confusing Twitter handle at Twitter.com. Ben, welcome to Fever Dreams, and please, before you even say hello, explain to our audience where they can find you on Twitter, because I can't really even figure it out, and I've known you for at least five years. Yeah, it's the words one underscore with two underscores after it. Why did you do that? Why? why have you not changed it yet? I'm never going to change it now. It's too great. It's too awesome. I was told by a boss once I had to change my Twitter name, so I, I did it in the uh, most passive-aggressive way possible to this, to something that you could not say out loud. What was it before? Oh, I don't remember. I, no, I legitimately do not remember. Was it something incredibly body and pornographic that yeah, probably. one of your news editors was like, you have to change it now? I think it was probably a derivation of my name that would I would now have to pay to get back. That's probably my guess. But now it's a, a complete nightmare. There is a woman with one underscore with one underscore after it who does, in fact, frequently post very lewd pornography. So when people go to look me up, I've had a person I did a job interview once like five years ago and somebody looked me up. They're like, oh, my God. And they hired you on the spot. Yeah, it was it was really bad. It's been helpful, though, because uh a lot of uh, the, the crazy people that I do cover harass this other person, and I have repeatedly apologized to her. So it's a very dumb thing. So if you can find me on the internet, please do. So Ben, last week we had the latest instance of a Trump fan being extremely normal in D.C., taking a calm tourist visit, also announcing that he had a bomb in his truck. Can you give us the rundown of what happened there? Yeah, so there's this guy named Ray Rosebury, I believe is that, that that's what his name is. And he decided that enough was enough for he and what he called four other Southern patriots. Now, it doesn't appear that there were four other Southern patriots, but he was very specific about that number. And he said uh, that he had explosives in his car and that um, the only way it could explode is if somebody shot into it. It was like some sort of like speed two kind of situation. He was trying to get Joe Biden to step down. He said he didn't hate Joe Biden. He didn't hate Kamala Harris. It's very nice of him. But that several city blocks would explode if somebody shot into the car and then he would not surrender. Of course, he did surrender, but that was not the point. And he was parked directly in front of the Library of Congress. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, he drove, drove up from North Carolina, where he was from. And he parked in front of the Library of Congress. And then he threw a bunch of money, what looked to be like 70 bucks in singles out of his car. People were collecting them. And he was saying, I have a bomb. And people were like, all right. And then they just kept picking up the money. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was the most American thing that's ever happened, I think. Uh, a woman walking to class took a picture of him and was like, I just saw a bomb throughout the way to class. Like, it's very America. It was a comedy of errors, I think. That, first of all, we're very used to this at this point. Second of all, people were like, oh, cool, free money. Anyways, this guy 
decided that he had had enough. And enough was a lot of things to him. It was about election conspiracy theories. He was previously at a Stop the Steal rally. He was mainlining what was pretty standard Fox News style conspiracy theories. It wasn't like deep 4chan stuff. It was just dumb. It was, I would say, closer to normie conspiracy theory stuff. The big thing that, that I saw with him that was different from the sort of casual conspiracy theories that didn't affect anyone personally, like, for example, the Arizona audit or something, which is just this nebulous thing. The big thing was he didn't seem to have sufficient health care. He said the day before they went to get stem cell therapy and that he was rejected by his insurance and that he said previously his wife had some sort of cancer on her face that they said would need surgery that was cosmetic and not covered by her insurance. And then he said it took off, you know, a, a bit of her nose and that was not paid for either. And in the next breath, he said, here we are letting in all of these Mexicans and Afghan refugees, and they're going to get this health care, which they're not, by the way. And he decided that this was enough to go and uh, head to the Library of Congress with a bunch of chemicals in his truck. So that's basically what happened last week. It's amazing how radicalizing just like really bog standard American inconveniences are. You know, we talk a lot about 4chan and fake news on Facebook, but just being able to like not get the vital medical care you want is just enough to drive a person insane. I'm not saying that's the only thing that happened here, but uh, it's certainly a large element in a lot of people's descent into, uh, you know, announcing that they've got a bomb in their truck. We see this over and over again, where it's this remarkably depressing and dark situation where you take all these people with legitimate and horrible concerns. Obviously, one of the most widespread ones in America right now is that insufficient health care or access. Instead, they funnel it into just this, not into productive organizing, not into anything that could actually sufficiently fight for an aim like that, but just into this insane conspiracy theory drenched hysteria that can actually lead them to at least say they want to perpetrate an act of violence. And in some cases, they actually end up parking a car in Washington, D.C., claiming they have a bunch of explosives loaded in there that they're going to use to try to get Biden ousted from office. And we have to keep saying he claimed to have explosives because that wasn't actually the case, was it? No, he, he had what they called bomb making materials. He did have like this. He had like a canister that looked like, you know, a video game kind of explosive. But there was no there was no like fuse or anything. Um, it, it, it didn't appear it could go off by itself. Um, he did have he claimed to have at least something that does explode. You can watch YouTube videos of it on on the Internet of trucks exploding. It probably would take it out of city block, but actually it's unclear if that's what was in that canister. It's really unclear totally uh, if anything could have happened here generally. Look, this guy was more hapless than usual. This was not your standard, very scary HN mass shooter situation. This was a guy who wanted to get his Facebook lives seen and they were, you know, this was five or six hours of just rambling about, you know, the government and the cabal and all this stuff. So it's one of those things like, do we cover this? At the same level, are we giving these people permission to go and like take over a news cycle by just, you know, screaming they have a bomb and parking in front of a government building? I don't know. But I do think like if we look into why these people are upset, I'm not saying there's value in this. I'm just saying this guy was upset and he was given a bill of goods about an answer to this that was wrong. He was upset because he couldn't pay for health care. And he was told that immigrants were the reason when the reason is nobody has that health care. 
And that is also a problem. Right. That's the American promise is not even people being evacuated from a dire situation are going to get health care. You know, we're equally in a terrible position. It's so funny that you mention his obsession with getting these Facebook streams viewed, because I feel like that's what a lot of conservative grievance boils down to right now is like, can anybody tune into my Facebook Live? Like everybody is running their own little reality show. And he really seemed to understand the value of live streaming while, you know, posing the active bomb threat in downtown DC. Yeah, he was, you know, he was the man in the truck uh, with the sunglasses, the meme that you see, <laughs> <laughs> the bald guy in the truck. He was that, he was that epitomized, right? And there is a lot of that around. And they do see that this is, you know, this is a mobilizing force for a lot of people. There is this view that there is this every man out there who is not a militiaman, but also is sort of fed up with how the government works or whatever they view the government to be in this situation. I think he was trying to be a totem for those people because he thought he was starting a movement. He kept saying, I'm starting a movement with this stuff. But the thing is, like, is there really that much of a space for these people? I'm not, I'm not really sure. You know, I do think that there is this cosplaying militiaman thing that is working in this fundraising feedback loop with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, where I do think that there is this idea that this kind of guy exists out there en masse that keeps saying they don't want to do violence, but bring all of the threats of violence with them. And allegedly some of the necessary tools. To actually. Right. So like not militiamen, but close. And I think that, you know, there are people in the Republican Party who are trying to play to this concept and are, you know, raking in out-of-state donor money to do it. But Ben, something that you've talked about a lot that is underscored by this one seemingly mentally disturbed guy is that there's a broader phenomenon going on, that the messaging between these violent militia movements, people like this who are somewhere in between, and not just the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, but major organs of mainstream conservative media and leaders in the Republican Party. There's been these feedback loops and potentially a just inadvertent uh, messaging workshop that has existed between the three spheres where there's sort of been a, this collapse where they just sound deafeningly similar. Like, it, it, and, and it's a little bit frightening how not dissimilar these guys end up sounding to each other. Yeah, I do think that there's like a tail wagging the dog situation at this point where there are certainly Congress people who are playing to these people at this point. I, I think people want there to be this big man behind the curtain or like fundraising apparatus that is propping up people like Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene or something. I think people want it to be like Vladimir Putin or something <laughs> or like the Coke network even. It's not like there are people out there who are funneling small dollar donations to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's just what's happening. And they are doing it by doing this wink and nod to militantism that isn't like 4chan militantism. It's like old school message board, old school like newsletter militantism. You know, Kelly knows a ton about this sort of thing, but this guy was also really obsessed with coins and like the devaluation of the penny and all of these things that harken back to like mid 90s, you know, early 2000s, gold standard Ron Paul audit the Fed stuff. That's what this guy was into on YouTube, right? And that is not 4chan or 8chan. It's not even a particularly like Facebook brand thing. 
it's a it's a thing that's been rumbling in the self-sufficient militia and of the Republican Party for decades. I think there are more of these people now because algorithms can tailor themselves to lead people closer to that. Once you start in the coin YouTube channel, you end up there uh, much faster than you would have decades ago. But this is a strain of libertarianism that's been around for a very long period of time. Yeah, it's really like a boomer populist paranoia. It's the kind of thing that you would have seen in, um, I don't know, like old, you bring up newsletters, old militia, magazines, soldier of fortune, that kind of thing. But whereas it used to be a really small run magazine that just went out to like the one guy in your town that you don't want to talk to, like now it's something that's algorithmically streamlined. And no, you're not necessarily going to become an extremist because you're looking at gold prices. But if you watch enough of those YouTube videos, you're going to have a buffet of options of pretty messed up things. Let's talk a little bit about the informal lineage of this guy, because as you've made this point uh, numerous times, it is not at all just a one-off, one-and-done thing that just happened to inconvenience part of Washington, D.C. for a while. Let's flash back to the other would-be MAGA bomber. Tell us a little bit more about your study of that guy, how he relates to this guy just a few years after, and also in between. There have been a whole bunch of other instances and uh, radicalized shooters or assailants who have been tragically far more successful than these two. Yeah, look, the, the closest comparison is Caesar Sayoc, that you know the the MAGA bomber who sent these bombs that did not work to various different, I would guess, I would, I would say like uh, super heroic style villains in the Fox News universe. You know, he sent them to CNN and like, you know, all the people in the Barack Obama sphere, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. That's probably the closest you get because that guy had that van that looked like a giant Facebook meme. This guy did a Facebook live stream of that van, basically. So that's the closest you get. But in between, there's a lot of horrible, I would say, MAGA style terror attacks. That's what you get last week, even. There was that guy who in the UK who thought himself to be an American. He claimed that he was an American at heart. And to him, that was like he was a pro-Trump gun-wielding guy who believed that there were pedophiles in the government, this Q-adjacent stuff. He had the largest mass shooting spree in the UK in decades. He, you know, he killed a dad and his, and his daughter just in broad daylight, just shot at him for no reason. So this happens on a, I don't want to say weekly basis, but it's, hap- it's happening a lot. There was a QAnon guy who killed his kids a couple of weeks ago, drove to Mexico, killed his one and three-year-old a couple of weeks ago. The self-styled terror where you sort of, it's a la carte, pick the section of far-right extremism that best suits your needs to explain some wild grievance. We've had that pretty much every month for, for years now. And my, my worry is people think this ended on January 6th, and it absolutely did not. There is a large pundit class that sustains their brand or Substack or whatever by pushing the idea that January 6th was uh, a joke and not that big of a deal. And all these people are cosplaying, but they casually forget about that summer where I would wake up every Saturday and assume that some guy from HN was going to go shoot up a mall or a synagogue or something. Tell, tell us more about that months-long period, which I think the climax of it was the El Paso mass shooting during the Trump era. Is that correct? That's right. So I would, I mean, I'm sure Kelly was the same way at the time too, but I would wake up on weekends and be like, 
I probably shouldn't make plans. Yeah. Because it seems like this is happening on Saturdays or Sundays. And it would. Like, for example, like, I, I remember I woke up the day that the Poway shooting happened. I was just like, I don't know. I shouldn't make plans today. It just seems like this is going to happen again. And it did. Like, there was a guy who shot up a synagogue there. And, you know, there was the garlic festival shooting and there were all these other like it, it just kept happening pretty much every weekend because people were egging each other on so much unfortunate and they chance to do these things and leave their manifestos there in the name of far-right extremism the poway shooting got me so badly because the guy wasn't even he didn't even care enough to write his own manifesto he just copied the one from the guy from new zealand the christchurch shooter it's pretty much just like it was cut and paste and these things don't go away just because they go away they build on each other People get more emboldened as time goes on. And then the El Paso shooting sort of broke the fever a little bit. I think that people understood that this was a real thing and stuff needed to happen. And the feds took it more seriously. And people got really upset at HN that got taken down until it got rebranded. That's my worry is that this is just going to keep happening until there is an administration or something that takes this stuff really genuinely seriously and doesn't just go from crisis to crisis, not understanding how the internet works. I think that's such a good point because... When we were looking at that summer of hell, really, where like there was a an HM based shooting every Saturday, we talked a lot about how this was mimetic, right? These guys were carrying out similar shootings, sometimes literally plagiarizing each other's manifestos. They had the same really stupid in jokes about frogs or whatever the hell. And we understood that to be a pattern of almost copycat shooters. I don't think there's the same understanding um, around the more Facebook gold bug kind of standard Fox News talking points that have inspired like January 6th riot and the um, the bomb threat last week. I think those are similar, similar worlds, similar memes almost, but because they don't come with a Pepe the Frog, we've been kind of slow to pick up on how they influence each other. Yeah, I think like if you were to go to patriots.win, which is the new, the Donald.win, which is where basically January 6th was planned, let's be real, where, you know, people were egging each other on to bring ammo, where people were, uh, uh, you know, posting pictures of their flights in buses full of MAGA folks ready to storm the Capitol. Like they were talking about storming the Capitol for weeks. They're posting maps and pictures of tunnels under the Capitol. This place still exists and just rebranded. They were quieter for a few months because they thought the feds were watching them. And in the last few weeks, they realized they're not. They're just saying the same stuff again. But the difference is, before January 6th, they had this like WrestleMania style event where they were all like, they were all funneling all their energy to one date. Now it's like, why don't you go do something about it? Like, haven't you had enough? It's time for you to stand up for yourself. So they are urging each other to do these individual actions on those on that page. But there's no uh, Super Bowl for them like there was on January 6th. So it's all still happening. The radicalization is still on the very public facing internet. You just type it in. There's no, people assume it's like the dark web or something, or at least private telegrams or Facebook groups. No, it's, just, it's on the publicly available internet. But nobody's watching this and nobody's paying enough attention. And you and I have talked about before on how these atrocities that you deeply fear that they are going to keep on happening at a fairly regular clip in America and elsewhere um, until law enforcement or federal law enforcers actually start taking this seriously. Well, just to be clear to our audience, I highly doubt anybody talking on this podcast right now 
endorses anything like a new front on the American war on terror. I don't think anybody no, here is endorsing uh, <laughs> a, 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 a domestic war on terror or a, a crackdown or a violation of civil liberties, except instead of being pointed at Muslims, it's being pointed at like MAGA shitheads. That's kind of a straw man in a lot of circles. But having said that, your very clear response to me when I've just asked you the question of, okay, then what is the answer, has been enforce the fucking laws. <laughs> enforce the laws. So like, Swin, all three of us in this podcast are of the generation where we grew up being lied to by the federal government about the Iraq war. We were, we are born of that generation, all three of us. And we all realized how much of a quagmire it was, how much of a nightmare it was, how both of us swim were probably were like, oh, are we going to be drafted? It seems like a situation where we're going to be drafted. When we were, you know, 13 to 18 years old, it was very scary and very bad. And it was all premised on lies. So being browbeaten by some people who egged this war on, on the internet uh, is insane to me, but it keeps happening. What you can do is enforce the laws. There are people who were at the January 6th riots who are, are now in street fights in California and Portland, just still hanging out, members of the Proud Boys, members of the Oath Keepers, who are still just unaccounted for in terms of any sort of sanctioning by the government for their role uh, on what happened on January 6th. So you don't need some ridiculous overwrought apparatus from uh, lawmakers to make it so these people don't keep doing this stuff. You just have to enforce the law. They're currently in criminal gangs just like stalking anytime they view someone to be Antifa or some sort of like protest that they don't agree with on the, in the Pacific Northwest. Just enforce the law. Instead, you have people making de facto arrangements with the Proud Boys. You have law enforcement doing that uh, in places like Portland. The opposite is happening. Don't create new dumbass laws just enforce the ones that we already have. In Portland specifically, because I've been talking with activists out there and they all say the same thing. You're right. You don't need to create new laws. They literally have a law on the books, I believe in Oregon, that allows um, for measures against gang violence. Like what is ex exactly what is happening every second weekend in Portland with out of state and out of city proud boys and people of that um of that association coming in and harassing local Portlanders. There's actually a law on the books that they can enforce. And if you're skeptical that that would work, you can look at Charlottesville in Virginia, where after the Unite the Right rally, they said, okay, we have a law on the books. We are not going to allow armed militias to come march through here. And they enforced that. And it has largely worked. And that is readily available in Oregon. And they just don't do it. Right. Like, there's no need to overreact. At some point, you just need to, to react appropriately. But one of the impediments to that, that you, Ben, have talked about a lot and covered fairly extensively, is that one of the big problems is that cops in this country, in various precincts and as department-wide problems in various states and cities in the country, seem to continue to take the sides of the militias. And the pro-Trump street brawlers who are uh, uh, trying to do everything they can to squash Antifa in this country or what, whatever bullshit propaganda like that. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, about how so much of the problem in so many precincts is that cops keep picking a side 
and it is what they de facto identify as the anti-Antifa side. Right. So first of all, I, I do want to say, uh, I don't want to overgeneralize. I'm not going to say not all cops, but not all cops. Uh, this is a precinct by precinct thing. The country is wide and vast, and it has various different problems depending on where you are in the country. However, last year, there were these rumors of Antifa buses that existed solely on the dumbest accounts on Instagram and Facebook. They didn't exist. There's no such thing as like, a you know, this marauding magic school bus of Antifa people just going around. However, law enforcement put a helicopter in the sky to try to find an Antifa bus that was rumored on Instagram and Facebook in one of the dumbest Instagram posts that you'll ever see. They take that very seriously when a lot of this stuff, a lot of this like localized, regionalized dogfighting is coming from the militias. It just is true. So that's an issue. And that's an issue that has to do not just with, this isn't just a police thing or training thing. It's like, how are our law enforcement so targeted algorithmically by this stuff? Or how are they falling down these rabbit holes? No reasonable person would think that there is, based on these posts, I think you should look them up, uh, that there is an Antifa bus coming to town to uh, cinder block your house. Oh, yeah. Except for the one Kelly is operating and driving. Yeah, the, the one I am currently podcasting from, Yes. <laughs> If that counts as intelligence to these people, like we have, we have much larger problems and like we have to talk about how they're getting this information on Facebook and on Instagram. And by the way, one of the biggest vectors last year of these uh, Antifa is coming to your house personally to, you know, to take your grandma's medicine stuff was uh, police Facebook pages um, who were who have like blue checks next to their name on Facebook, who are trusted by the community because otherwise they're posting lost dogs or missing kids or something, real actual issues. Then they come in there with the Antifa bus post and you have to take that seriously because it's from the local police. So there's a larger systemic problem there with how police interact with social media on a local level. There's no way they're not trying to do the right thing most of the time. If I see a lost dog post from a police officer, I'm going to assume it's real. I'm going to look for the dog. Like if I'm just like out and about, right? So there's a larger problem here, but we are so far away from having that conversation. Uh, we like, we have all these emergency conversations to have first that to talk systemically about that. It's just like, dude, we are so far away from how technology has changed us and how to litigate this and how the, it, how it has affected our politics. I just don't know how we ever catch up to it. We could talk all day about uh, other data points, like the fraternal order of police was in incredibly limp, shall we say, in how they responded to the January 6th riot. There were off-duty cops rioting uh, in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol on January 6th. And just this past weekend with uh, the Proud Boys-related melee in Portland, uh, you were talking about how it seemed fairly clear to you that the cops there on the street had picked a side as the melee was going on. They had said that we're not going to get in the way. We're not in the middle of this of this fight, which is weird for a thing for a police department to say, say, right? I don't know how that works. I don't know how you can just say like, oh yeah, hand-to-hand combat is allowed at this street corner from these hours to these hours. I don't understand how that's fine. But that is what they said. They put a statement saying that. So like, I don't I don't get it. And I do want to say, you should follow local reporters here. There are people at like the Willamette Week and every good local Portland reporter really understands how weird it's gotten there recently. I am always 30,000 feet trying to, like distill this into like national trends and stuff. But it's fascinating what's happening right there right now. And uh, you should look into local reporting. So much of the problem is that 
these are not local Portlanders coming into the city and rioting. These are people from out of state. So it's very much like local Portlanders will characterize this as an invading force. And they come there to fight. If no one challenges them, often they will go driving around and they will hit someone who criticizes their Confederate flag as someone, um, one of the brawlers this weekend has previously been convicted of doing. They're there to fight. And the police are basically just handing off their responsibility in overseeing any of this. So it's really just down to uh, vigilante groups or anti-fascists, whoever you want to call it, stepping up against these people. And that's when you see these bloody brawls break out because there's effectively just, there's just being handed free will to fight in the streets. Right, you you get the whole situation just invites dum-dums on every side who think they're fighting for some massive cultural identity in the street with their fists or in some cases, in some cases, weapons. Uh, it's the worst possible way this can go. And the only people who can stop it are the police, right? So like, it's very dispiriting to see that they've just given up. I know we've previously talked about uh, militia's role or sometimes too cuddly relationship with uh, local police departments, but how do you, deep do you think the problem actually runs on this? Well, if one side views the cops as on their side, then they view themselves as being part of the government or part of, they, they, they view themselves as deputized, right? And that's in part how you get back to this guy from last week, right? This guy thinks he was speaking for the South. He thought he was law-abiding generally other than, you know, the bomb parts. Right. All the January 6th rioters were Blue Lives Matters people until they worked. Until they were beating up cops, right? Exactly. So the the idea of these people feel emboldened because they feel like secretly deep down the cops are on their side. Sometimes they are. <laughs> and I guess that's why they feel this way. It's a very complicated situation with with this whole thing with 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 cops and how they how they view this stuff because you don't want to paint them all as the same because they're not this is not a law enforcement versus the world situation every precinct is different everything's different i think a lot of it is like people trying to nationalize what they personally believe that's what happened with this guy last week this roseburg guy last week and that's what can happen when you just fall down these algorithmic rabbit holes when cops fall that fall down them too you get a helicopter over an Antifa bus, basically. Ben, I think you're so right that the perception that the cops are on their side gives them this um, feeling of legitimization. And I just recalled that um, Congressman Mo Brooks tweeted something that seemed remarkably like an endorsement for the bomb threat. Can you walk us through what happened there? And how might it read to some of these would-be bombers on Facebook? Yeah. So Mo Brooks basically said, I understand your anger at everything that's going on. The the idea that the, the election's been stolen. He sort of repeated this at a Trump rally this weekend. But he said uh, the best way to handle it is at the ballot box in 2022 and 2024. Now, when he said this at <laughs> at the Trump rally this weekend, he was booed. He was he, he said, don't look back, look forward to 2022. And everyone was like, no, no looking forward. Forward is terrible. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Only back. Um, so it was very funny to see that, to, like, just because that's what this is all about, right? It's no look forward. There's only back. Only back is good. It's fascinating to see that sort of play out in real time. These people do not want to move on from the Trump years. And that is a 
large part of this. It's called conservatism for a reason. Like they want to conserve the thing that was working for them. And that thing was like dominionist power, right? That's what was going on there. So look, it's going to be hard with with people like Mo Brooks out there saying this stuff constantly because they, they say this stuff on social media all of the time. And then they go and show up in person and they say a muted version of it. And the muted version of it is not enough. They want to like the point of accelerationism is to keep accelerating. Right. Like a guy like Mo Brooks, do you not understand why when you say something like that, you could get booed by these people who you're essentially trying to grift and prey upon? Because if you've been telling them for months that, oh, the 2020 election was rigged, they stole it from you, they stole it from Mr. Trump, and then you say, oh, well, the solution clearly is not to be violent, not to keep looking back, but to look forward, but to go out and vote. Well, you just fucking told them that their vote didn't matter. So what's what what story are you what what narrative are you trying to get them to believe? Yeah, that, that's the large scale problem here. It's also like it's hard to know how high they are in their own supply here, I guess, is the way to put it, especially with Mo Brooks, where I do think that some of these people, the Marjorie Taylor Greene types, did think there was something that was going to come of these audits. They could at least hang their hat on, you know, where they could say like, oh, there was a weird thing here with this ballot or like. Some people filled these in with these kind of pens or something. There was going to be something that came out of it. It's unclear if that's ever going to come. So I think that they were waiting on something to come out of these. And they still are, right? This is the perpetually delayed thing. This is like the infrastructure week of elections where constantly the cyber ninjas thing gets, gets, keeps getting pushed back. So I don't know if Mobrooks was waiting on something to drop and it never came. And therefore, now he just has to you know buck up and say, look, uh, we can't look back. We're just have to, we have to say vague fraud or whatever. We have no new talking point for this. So therefore, uh, let's talk about 2022. But they're in a weird spot. They're kind of in a jam. They, I think they really did anticipate a new talking point and it hasn't come yet. The true election fraud is just uh, just vibes, really. Yeah. <laughs> ben, Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your reporting and your insights with us. I forgot to mention this at the top of the interview, but you are actually a Daily Beast alumnus, traitor, uh, when you used to cover the same beat for us, but now you do it for NBC. And we'll try to hold that against you not too much. And just suffice to say, you are welcome back on this show anytime. Yeah, as a bit of sincerity, I miss it desperately. And uh, there's nobody better. So I am very touched to be back. Uh, get the fuck off my show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Ben. And now, moving on to this week's installment of Fresh Hell. It involves one of my favorite Broadway and movie stars of all time, Mr. Alan Cumming. I do not know if he is a Sir Alan Cumming, but if he isn't, he probably should be. What brought you to this story that intersected with the great Alan Cumming. Frankly, just the desire to write about something weird that was not uh, pursuant to ivermectin or election fraud. <laughs> right, you need something to take like the anvil off of the weight of your soul for just a moment. This is one of the weirdest legal fights that I've heard of in a while and certainly one of the weirder legal battles you've covered. Is that correct? It is far and away one of the weirdest cases. Like, I have to, just a disclaimer up front, I've talked to all the parties in this, and I do not know who is incorrect. Someone is clearly very wrong here, and I'm not sure who it is. So I'm just going to lay out the facts. Basically, there is a, is or was a chimpanzee named Tonka. 
He's a famous actor, starred alongside Alan Cumming. This chimpanzee is more famous than I will ever be. But Tonka lived in a Missouri facility that was plagued by poor health reports, chimpanzee escapes. If anybody remembers that chimpanzee that ate a woman's face in 2009, he was born there. So iffy, iffy sort of place. With all those complaints piling up, people like Alan Cumming started calling for Tonka's release from this facility, send him to a wildlife preservation, something like that. PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, they sued the facility to try and get them to surrender their chimpanzees. They won. But when Tonka the chimpanzee was due to be transferred out of the facility um, last month, he was mysteriously missing. And this is where it gets really weird. Tonka's owners at the facility said he was dead and that they cremated him at 160 degrees. PETA said, hang on, that won't even cook a small turkey, let alone cremate a 250-pound chimpanzee. And Tonka's owners wrote back and said, uh, that, that was a typo because we were at a petting zoo. We actually meant it was 10 times that. So they insist that Tonka is very much dead. PETA is now in court arguing that this famous chimpanzee is alive. I don't know who is lying, but I am frankly just riveted. Okay. And the way Alan Cumming intersects with Tonka goes all the way back to the late 90s. This movie, Buddy, which says it's based on a true story, came out in 1997, the IMDb description of the plot is, quote, a depiction of the true life story of Gertrude Lintz, an eccentric 1920s socialite who tries to raise a gorilla like many chimps before him as part of her family. This movie starred Rene Russo and Alan Cumming. And from this, Alan has not abandoned this friendship after all these decades. He has a whole section on his website with his pictures of him holding this very precious little chimpanzee. And do they still get together at like Thanksgiving or like Christmas time or? Oh, I don't think so. I think uh, I think they had to send the chimpanzee back to Missouri after filming. But Alan Cumming for like decades has been really active in this chimpanzee's case, saying free him, send him to a uh, send him to a wildlife preserve or something of that nature. Um, because you know what, those those co-star friendships are they're real. <laughs> On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.